checking out and I didn't realize I've had three, uh, three people. Well, Callum, you know, Callum Webb. Yep. So, and, uh, Justin Birch. Okay. Do you know that? Do you know him? I don't know Justin personally. All you guys are from Idaho Falls. Oh, interesting. And you're still in Idaho Falls, right? I'm in Idaho Falls, yeah. And you know Joe Dianson. Oh, yeah. How do you know Joe? He was one of my strength and conditioning coaches in college at Utah State. No way. What a small world. Yeah, me and Joe are... I'm open late so I could go work out after class. No way. Yeah. And that is crazy. Yeah, what a small world. So you... Utah State. That's where. That's where you uh, were a thrower. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And I was looking at your 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 website. I think it's your website. Uh, but when it said the son of an Olympian. Yeah. So that's how I got into all this craziness. Um, my dad is on the 1980 Olympic team for Canada for weightlifting. Jeez. And so, at a very young age, like I started competing in weightlifting. I went to my first nationals, I was 10 or 11, but I mean, I was lifting at nine. I was doing track and field at like the junior national level when I was seven, eight years old. So my goal my entire life was to make the Olympics and unfortunately never happened. Wow. So it is in your blood. Yeah. Like that teddy bear right there. It's a weightlifting teddy bear from the Olympic training center. Yeah. Let's see it. So, you know, (laughs) Oh my God. I had this as a kid. And then like, when I was a kid lifting, obviously like, you didn't have YouTube and stuff. So we would watch these, these flip books on like how to Whoa. snatch. And so you could look at like frame, you could look at the frame by frame. This is your how to snatch in a, well, yeah. <laughs> in a flip book. You know, it was, it was one of the best ever. And so you, you just, you Oh, that is so cool. See exactly what he was doing. And then, Oh my goodness. Same thing with like the clean and jerk. You could look exactly. Yeah, so this this guy wow. videos. He used to take sports videos and make flip books for like all sorts of stuff: high jump, triple jump, discus, shot put. Like, and this was like this was years. This. this was years. This was in the eighties, nineties. No, so um, this is probably early two thousands and late nineties. So I started lifting in nineteen ninety nine. Um, my dad was lifting in the seventies and eighties. So my dad competed against like the big Soviets. You know, Rachmanov and Alexiev and those guys. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so cool. Give me, give me a, let's, let's talk about a little brief educational background, uh, how you got started, where you went to Cairo school. Uh, yeah. Give me, give me a little, give me a little brief background. Okay. So I went to Utah state. I got a degree in nutrition dietetics, which doesn't really mean much unless you get a master's. Right. Okay. But my original plan was to do a master's in sports med, sorry, uh, sports performance nutrition, and then go sports medicine. Okay. And uh, got married, moved to Rhode Island. I was doing an internship at Poliquin in Rhode Island and just hated it. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to do people's diets for the rest of my life. And I had back surgery when I was 21. I was throwing in college, had two herniated discs after that. And so they wanted to fuse me when I was like 23. And so I got out of school. I'm working. They're talking about fusing my back. And I started going to a chiropractor. And like that made a world of difference to me. And so that's why I ended up going to chiropractic school. And then there wasn't really a lot of thought process into like which school I wanted to go to. 
Uh, the chiro that I went to went to Palmer in Davenport, Iowa, which is the first chiropractic school. And he's like, you go to Palmer, they're the best, they're the best adjusters. And I'm really glad I went to Palmer because they do have really good adjusting skills. But I kind of wish I'd gone to like Logan in St. Louis because you could do a master's concurrently with your doctorate. So I could have got like a master's in nutrition oh, or a master's in sports uh, rehab and then also had the doctorate. But at the end of the day, like you can take enough clinical skill courses that like it doesn't make a huge difference. Sure. But... Wow. Um, so wh where was the, where was the school, the chiro school that you went to? Davenport, Iowa. Davenport, Iowa. So you, so were you born and raised in Utah? No, I was born in North Dakota, raised in Idaho and Canada, and then went to undergrad in Utah. Okay. And then went out to Rhode Island. Well, then, yeah, you know. Denver, then Rhode Island. <laughs> oh my God. A lot of places. Okay. So when, and, and when did your, so did you, did you have, you had interest in nutrition, obviously. And if you were to go on to get, to get your master's, would that be like RD? Registered uh, dietitian? Yeah. So you, you, you'd be an RD. Um, the reason I went to nutrition is from competing in a weight restricted sport my whole life. Uh -huh. So I started out in weightlifting in the very lightest weight class. I was always a super skinny kid. And wow. so I've been through every weight class of weightlifting. So as a kid, I was always like having to cut for competitions sure. and it created really bad, like body dysmorphia and eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And so I figured like, if I do nutrition, I can understand this, what, like the psychology of what's going on better and like, and have a healthier relationship with food, especially like as a college athlete. And I think I was the only guy in my, in my cohort. <laughs> wow. Like all women, all had eating disorders. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then Cairo school, when did the, the, the sports performance, the weightlifting, the powerlifting all come into play that you wanted to, that you wanted to add that onto your Cairo? Um, so, I mean, granted, I grew up weightlifting and competed in weightlifting, so like that never really went away. Sure. Um, I had shoulder surgery and they cut out my AC joint. And so if I clean over 400, my arm falls asleep. So that's like what kind of over 400 <laughs> yeah, big guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's what kind of ended my aspiration to weightlift okay. at like the national level, because like in, in super heavyweight, if you're only cleaning, you're working 400, like you're getting like last place. Right. So at least in my mind. Uh, and so in chiropractic school, my, uh, my ex-wife met a powerlifter and she kind of wanted to try it out. And my ex had herniated a couple of discs throwing hammer. And I said, mm. how about, how about we work on your, like rehabbing your back? I'll write your strength conditioning program and let's see what we can do. And so in about a year, we rehabbed her back, did all that stuff. And she was already pretty strong. She was a thrower in college. Okay. Um, but we added a hundred pounds or a squat. 50 pounds or a bench and like she'd never done deadlifts so she squatted 435 bench 257 deadlifted 450 weighing wow. 176 nice natural and so yeah. that's kind of what got me into it so um that was six seven years ago and i kind of fell out of coaching for a while because mm -hmm. i was just focused on clinical stuff okay and then when COVID hit i was in oregon and so like everything got shut down. Right. Yeah. And so then I started doing online coaching again for clients and that kind of paid all my bills. And I just kind of kept a small team since then. At one point I had like 20 athletes, but I, I keep it below 10 now. Just because And weightlifting and powerlifting or, or specifically one. Uh, so I do have my USA weightlifting. I just don't coach weightlifting remotely anymore. Okay. It's too hard to be like, 
hey, that snatch you did five hours ago. Yeah, you, right. You, you were forward. But like a deadlift was squat or a bench is pretty pretty simple. Plus, um, I used to have athletes from here to Australia, and now I only have American athletes. Wow. So it's nice because like there's not that huge time gap. Wow. Yeah, that's that's great. Uh, what is your what is your balance now of clinical? Do you still do clinical stuff? You'd say. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's your balance now between the clinical stuff and do you do any private sector uh, coaching, like for powerlifting specifically? Um, yeah. So I, I still have my my powerlifting team. I've got one in person that I do, and then I've got a few online. Um, but I've got a full gym in my office. If you watch all those lifting videos, yeah. If any of them have a blue wall behind me, that's in my office. Cool. And so. We have reverse hyper GHD, full power rack, deadlift bar, squat bar, safety squat bar, like about everything you need. And so most of my appointments I do with, with patients are hour long appointments. So they're getting the chiropractic adjustment, they're getting soft tissue work, and then we're actually training in my office. Cool. And so it, it, it's not really like, is there a balance? It's just kind of a merge together. Right. My coaching, so this is my, my powerlifting team. Strong um, life performance. Performance, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, they send me videos on Instagram and I reply when I can and, and write their programs and stuff. But I have a few that are local and a few that are in California and one up in Oregon. And um, that's just that's just more for fun than anything. It doesn't, it doesn't take up a ton of my time. Yeah. But it's just something I like to stay connected to. I like it. Um, so I was really, I was really excited to jump on with, with you specifically, because as a chiropractor, I think a lot of people have this, this notion of what a chiropractor is and where you are one of the chiropractors that do things completely different, which is, I, I, and I don't know how, how much of your adjusting and soft tissue work you do, um, but you include this lifting component and this, this, the ability to maximize human performance basically, right? Yeah. So expand on that and that I feel like that's a that's a that's a gap that Kairos PTs and strength coaches on on one end of the spectrum uh meeting in the middle is kind of tough and you're kind of you're take you're taking the strength coach and the Cairo and you're yourself meeting in the middle right so maybe expand on on that gap and how you bridge uh and maybe go through like a, a whole treatment if you want to you know Yeah so if you look at like most rehab models, they only get you back to a certain point, right? And then they hand you off where you're like, okay, I, I, I can do this really like trap bar deadlift. Now I'm going to go back to CrossFit. And you're like, that's just not going to work because you're going right. to go from trap bar deadlifting to 21, 15, nine snatches and toes the bar. And right. you, you know, you're going to get messed up. So luckily my first office was in a CrossFit gym for two years. So I started out doing like the 15 minute appointment, like most chiros in and out the door, just scrape and go. Sure. And then I realized like, I'm only getting a small portion of the result that I want. And this is really frustrating to me. And so then we started looking into movement and performance and stuff like that and bridging the gap and talking to coaches and seeing like, okay, this coach is really good at these things. And this is where that coach's knowledge gap is. And I can fill that slot. And so it just became more like a team setting. And then obviously with COVID, like the gym I was in went under and it's back now, but um, I moved out to Idaho and it's been an interesting out here in Idaho because people just don't have that same like health and performance mindset. And so a lot of the stuff that I have to do here is educating people like, hey, pain is only the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like 
redefining what you can do with your life after pain is what the goal is. Mm. And so you have to have that buy-in of, yeah, I'm going to do a 10 minute adjustment. I'm going to do 10, 15 minutes of soft tissue work. But then like I had a 69 year old guy deadlifting the other day and it's like, you know, I never thought I'd deadlift again. Like you want to go hunting in the fall, don't you? Yeah. Like, you probably have to pick something up. Sure. And you just have to connect their values to the process. Huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, it That's does. Probably yeah. Not a great answer. But... <laughs> I mean, no, it's great. That is, that is great. So yeah, that's, uh, so, I mean, you coach like high school athletes. Yeah. So, so my, my, my population ranges from probably 60% high school, middle school athletes. And then the other 40% is gen pop. So whether it's, you know, 40 year old mom or dad trying to get stronger, uh, cause my background is powerlifting. So yeah. my thing was, okay, I enjoy getting strong. It builds confidence. Um, and it's, it's cool to like, you know, lift heavy and, and, and be strong. So the, the population is definitely all over the place, but I see less of those that are in pain where you do. Right. And then you work with the ones that are in pain and lead them, you lead them to, let's say transitioning to me, right. Where, where I would see them after you treat them. But that's, that's, what's interesting with, with what you're doing is you're doing both essentially. Right. So do these people stay on and they, they, quote unquote, train with you? Uh, so I, yeah, I have some that do. So usually what happens in that scenario is like, once we finish a treatment plan, we talk about like, if you'd like to continue with coaching, you could join my team and we can do like, I can write all your programming and stuff and send it to you in Google docs, or they can do memberships. So they get like two visits a month for an hour at a 20% discount. And then they come in and we just keep working through whatever their goals are. Mm. But a lot of times, I mean, because I, I work a lot with crossfitters, bodybuilders, powerlifters. Um, so a lot of times it's, we need to get you to this point and a little bit further so I know that you're protected and we'll turn you back over to your coach. And then we just want to follow a maintenance plan because what we mm -hmm. don't want is you get better, you go back to doing the exact same habits that you had before, then you come back to the same issue in four months. Right. So they don't stay on as a super frequent person. They come in once or twice a month, maybe. And we just fine tune the process. So how could you overcome or, I mean, what, what's your process to overcome or avoid those injuries when you let somebody go? And let's say, let's put in the example, the one that let's say they can trap our deadlift again, but then they go back and CrossFit. I mean, obviously it's a lot of workload management, right? Like, and, and, yeah. and so, um, a lot of times you see people that like get hurt in CrossFit. So coming from a weightlifting background, like I look at the snatch and the cleaner jerk and I'm like, you know, drive through your legs, hips are low, backs arched. And you go to CrossFit where it's 20 or 59, they're doing almost like RDLs with like a muscle snatch, right? Cause they're going right. behind. Right. So you have to tell them, you have to look at the amount of load that's going into the low back, but you also have to look at technical proficiency. And so mm -hmm. you're like, listen, you might slow down your time by a couple seconds initially by dropping your hips a little lower and driving through your legs, but you're going to save your back. And then you look at, it's, it's easy with CrossFit, you look at Matt Frazier, and like he was a national team resident athlete, Olympic lifter. Mm -hmm. And so when he goes into CrossFit, he smokes everybody well, in all the Olympic easy for him. because yeah. he's so proficient at the movement. And so the, the big thing is linking, get a video of them prior to you and then get a video of them with you and show them like, look, 
You see the different angles here. This is what you're trying to get, and this is where you're missing the gap, and that's why you got hurt. And so, you know, get your coach to like be stickler with you. If the coaches are there, they they see, and all you gotta do is say, hey, like I'm working through a back injury. Can you watch me a little bit extra, and just have more communication? Like, okay, your hips yeah, came up on that one. Keep them down, and and just re-drill patterns to the point that it it becomes habitual. Like, I haven't done the clean jerk in four years, right? I've just been good powerlifting and other stuff. I guarantee I can still clean like 360. It's skill, yeah, skill, black position. Right. Yeah, it's like the muscle memory is there. Right. And so it's, uh, that's the biggest thing. And then also, you know, just like, okay, teaching regressions. Let's say in your workout today, you've got this and you're having a hard time. Can you do a B-stance RDO? Can you do, mm -hmm. you know, dumbbells? Can you do different stuff? Because a lot of times people struggle with the bar being in front of their legs. And they're, they're not hinging through their hips. They're just kind of bending their low back as like a functional hip. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, no, the back stays, you know, neutral, locked in, the hips go back. And if they can't do that, you put them on dumbbells, you know, regress them back. It's, it's, it's always going to fall back on communication and giving options for progression and regression. Yeah. If they don't I think like that's huge. Option, yeah. I mean, that's like the whole point of CrossFit, like our scale it, our exit, right? Yeah, but people don't want to scale it, and so that's where you talk to their coach and go, "Hey, they're not going to want to scale because they feel good, but keep them scaled for like two more weeks." You know, mm. just give them now. Have you time to keep that pace. have you run into the situation where somebody is is at a CrossFit doing this and possibly now I have never done a CrossFit class. Mm. It, you know, I I have some opinions on it, but have you ever run into the situation where the crossfit coach potentially doesn't know how to regress and progress an exercise for somebody uh yeah so um i've had a couple of situations like that i worked in crossfit gym so i did crossfit for two years when i was in the gym just to get to know what crossfit was sure about. yeah and uh yeah you, the problem is it's like anything right you could go to a, a strength and conditioning coach that has taken every cert and really invested in their education you can mm -hmm. go to a, a kid that like only has like his ace, you know? right. and, and so a lot of times it's not that the coach doesn't want to be a better coach. It's just they're early in their coaching career and they don't understand what they don't know. Sure. Um, and now I have run into situations where you have veteran coaches and they're like, it's just the way we do it here. Wow. And that's more of an ego thing that like, this is my gym. This is my system, blah, blah, blah. And in that scenario, you just kind of have to play nice, step back a little bit and say, okay, well, I'm going to give my clients as many of the tools as they can and, you know, just hope that they, uh, they can make it through the system, you know? Yeah. Do That's you still have my own gym, like a full gym? Is that in the, in the future plans? Um, I don't know if it would be in the future plans for Idaho Falls. Uh, if I stay here, I'm probably gonna keep it small private, um, but I might, I thought about moving back to Oregon. My buddy has a 3000 square foot gym he just expanded into. It's private mm. training. He does Olympic lifting, powerlifting. Wow. Um, he was a thrower That's in college cool. too, so we know each other. I thought about moving back into that and investing in that and going. Um, I'm in a, my, my business group is all rehab chiros that do what I do. We're all okay. like movement-based, strength-based chiros. Um, and a couple of the people have opened up their own gyms and I'm kind of watching what happens with them. And if yeah. you model successful, I'd love to do it. But 
you should check out Prime Physio and Performance in Bozeman. Okay. Okay. It's a physical therapy center with a 17,000 square foot gym. Jeez. And they host like, all the major powerlifting and weightlifting meets in, in Bozeman go through there. It's amazing. That's huge. And that's what yeah, you're trying so, to recreate. Yeah, on a, on a smaller scale. I think they're, okay. they're at like 300 members capped um, for the gym. I would probably mm -hmm. want to keep it at like less than 100. So do you see that yourself doing Cairo for the... Pardon me? Sorry, do you see do you see yourself doing Cairo for the you know the next the next ten years, or are you going to move more into the that performance gym type well, of coaching? Here's the thing: so if you look at like a Cairo and a physio and like a good performance coach, there should be a lot of overlap. Like yeah. a good Cairo and a good physio should treat you pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. A really good performance coach will probably know a lot of corrective exercises; they just can't mm -hmm. adjust their diagnosis. Sure. And so. Um, in my mind, performance and chiropractic aren't separate. It's, hmm. it's just, what's the tool that that client needs? So they have a hot back. Yeah. Well, what chiropractic can really help them get out of low back pain, right? But once that's done, that's only like 20% of the equation. Yeah. And so the, 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 I have clients that come in now. I, I don't adjust. We just do movement for an hour. That's right. still therapy, right? Yeah, oh, of course. And so... Um, Will I always be adjusting? Probably not. I mean, eventually you have to decide if you're going to work in the business or on the business. I'm not at that point mm. yet, but eventually I'll probably only take a small amount of clients and then do more of the administrative stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how long or where that goes. But uh, yeah, it's it, it just never made sense to me growing up in the life I grew up in to not have both. Like I've always right. wanted to be in an integrated practice. Plus, if I have my own gym, the really nice thing is I can bring in coaches like yourself, but I know yep. I can trust or Callum. Like yep. I actually wanted to team up with Callum and he built his freaking garage gym. I know. Like, well, I helped him with that. So you might have to, you know, oh, get mad get mad at me a little bit for that. But <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a few discussions on the back end of that as well. But um, yeah. like having someone like him in your gym, it'd be like sweet, like because that just frees up more time for me to do other things. Yeah, of course. Of course. So do you love still to this day coaching the snatch and clean and jerk? Um, uh -oh. <laughs> no, I, I love watching weightlifting, but weightlifting okay. for me is, is kind of challenging. Um, so I grew up Mormon and I was doing pretty good at weightlifting growing up. And, um, and then I served a Mormon mission, got home got in a boating accident, had back surgery. And I, that's why I did track in college. Wait, this is of, the second, this is the second back surgery. No, no, no. So I had back surgery when I was 21. And then I from the herniated disc. Twice. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I broke my back 13 months ago and four years ago. Oh my goodness. So, but okay. um, as far as like coaching weightlifting and stuff goes, it's really hard to coach from a distance, but it's also mm -hmm. for me, it's like, it's, a, it's kind of a jaded thing because I, I put so much of my life into that sport and to have injuries and like just stuff that was out of your control, get in the way of where you wanted to get. Yeah. It just makes it kind of like bitter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I love yeah. watching a beautiful clean and beautiful snatch, but I kind of realized that like when I coach it, if people don't have the same level of dedication that I had, I get really frustrated. And I feel like it's mm. disrespectful to the sport. 
Mm. As a powerlifting, I'm, I'm a lot more like chill. I'm like, yeah, man, if, like, if you don't want to compete, that's fine. But in weightlifting, like, I mean, my dad's an Olympian. His coach was an Olympian. We know we trained with Yuri Vardanian, who had 42 world records for the Soviet Union. I knew John Powell, who had the world record in the discus, silver medalist in the Olympics. He was a big name of the Ligwitz. was one of my dad's training partners, four-time Olympian in shot put. So my entire life was Olympic. Weightlifting. Goals. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just took it on my shoulder in eighth grade trying to snatch the national record in training. Eighth grade. So you'd be like 12, 13? Yeah. I was oh like, yeah, 12. <laughs> I was snatching and one of my straps tore and the other one didn't. Oh. Were you sit, Were you the same height you are now or a little bit shorter? I don't know. I guess no, he'd probably uh, be a little I shorter. Six, five, I was like 16. <clears throat> okay. Jeez, that is insane. But that was like that. But that, I mean, that was that was the whole mindset. I've just took it on my shoulder and finished a workout. Jeez. Oh, I can see. Yeah, I can. My dad and your kids, he's like, well, you know, you don't want to squat. I bet there's some kid in Bulgaria that isn't complaining about squats. Because wow. like, I, I mean, my dad competed with the Bulgarians and the Soviets, and it was, it was a completely different mindset. So it, it it got to the point that it was kind of like an unhealthy obsession. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't I didn't go to parties. I didn't go on dates. I didn't go to dances. It was training. Olympic weightlifting. Yeah, I was training thirty hours a week in fifth grade. Now, why a thrower? Um. So my dad, my dad wanted to be a thrower. He always thought throwing was awesome, and he was a better weightlifter. And so he always kind of, he threw kind of for fun and he did weightlifting as well. And, but we knew John Powell who had the Olympic, he hit the world record in the discus at one point. He was a silver medalist Olympics. We knew Zabigny of the Ligowitz, who was a four-time Olympian in shot put. And so weightlifting and throwing really go hand in hand. They're both such power explosives. Sure, yeah. And so um, my dad didn't want us just doing one sport. So we did a lot of sports and it just happened that, you know, track and field and weightlifting just correlated so well together that we just kind of kept doing them. Cool. Plus, you always want to have an option. Like, if you're trying to make the Olympics, you know, you got to do a lot of different things when you're young and figure out what you're the best at and then specialize. So, like, after my sophomore year of high school, I didn't do anything else but weightlifting and, and track and field. Jeez. That's crazy. Do you have siblings that potentially did or had the same goal? Uh, yeah, so my sister, just older than me, um, was actually a really high-level lifter. She was a multiple-time national champion, national record holder, international medalist, um, went to the Pan Ams. Won, she won the Creole Cup in Puerto Rico. Like, she made the uh, she made the 2006 Junior World Team for, I think it was going to be in Belarus that year. Um, so, yeah, my sister was a very good lifter. Um but yeah, she did one year of track in college and she was like, I'm, I'm burned out on it, you know? Jeez. So, but wow, no, five sisters. The other ones are all like musical and like none of them did sports. Okay. okay. Five sisters and you. <laughs> okay. Um, wow. Bobby that's crazy. Reason my dad was so like obsessed with making me a weightlifter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, okay. So I know we, we, I asked you the question of what you're passionate about. I don't know if we covered that or if you want to expand on that a little bit more, but your response to me was maximizing human strength and performance. So is there anything that you want to specifically add with your view on maximizing human strength and performance or even outside of the, the, the Cairo and what you do? But um, 
I mean, is, did, did we did we miss anything? Do you want to touch on anything? I just think that like what really, what I guess what really is the the passion in that maximizing performance is seeing the change and giving people the confidence to do something. Mm. Right? Like people come in, I hurt my back deadlifting, I'm afraid to deadlift, or I, I, I can't go hunting or whatever. And the fear, yeah. To the point where like they feel like, man, I can do anything I want. I'm strong, I'm mobile, I'm able. And like that's where the, the passion really comes in. So when I was younger, it was all about like setting a national record, winning a national championship. Like that was all I cared about was like being number one. And now it's transitioned into um, showing people like, hey, like you're 50, you're not dead. You can still have like tons of great years. You can still be very strong. You can still work out and just giving them their freedom back. Because everybody's always saying, don't do this, don't do that. Like yeah. it's bad for you, it's bad for your knees. Since when? Like just because yeah. you don't work out doesn't mean you need to tell your patients that they shouldn't work out. And so that's where like, I like breaking that mold and giving people, like giving them permission to do what they want to do. Because everyone's hmm. taking that away. Yeah, huge. I think that a lot, a lot of that fear mongering is, it's out, it's out there, and it's tons of people are, are are doing it. But would you would you say the people are the ones that are in fear, or the ones that are they are going to create the fear for them? Like you said, a doctor may be saying, "Don't deadlift because it's going to hurt your back." Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think it's, do you think it's the practitioners? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Do you, do you think it's the practitioners that are creating the fear more so, or is it the people themselves that are like, Oh, I did. I, you know, I, I put this bar over my head. I hurt my shoulder. Now I should never do that again. Um, it's probably a little bit of both, right? Cause that person hurts themselves. Like, well, I'm never gonna do this again. And then the doctor or their friend or their wife or whatever reinforces, it. reinforces it. Yeah. Cause yeah, like, oh, it hurts when I do this much. So my dad's an MD. And oh, the wow. joke is always, he's like, he's like, well, just don't do that anymore. And I'm like, well, <laughs> when does it get to the point where like, I can't do anything or, you know, oh, take a pill, get an injection and you're just masking the problem. And so they get hurt. They go to a doctor. He says, yeah, maybe not be, might not be a good idea to do that anymore. And then they, they start feeling better and then they try and do it again and they get hurt again. And that's where like the understanding movement comes in. So they're just, mm. they're returning back that. Okay, so this is a better example. People are saying, once you go to Cairo, you have to go forever kind of thing, right? And yes, you know, my that. response to that is, are you going to change your job? Are you going to change your habits and your hobbies? Are you going to change like all these factors that led to you coming to me in the first place? No, you're not going to change any of those things after you leave here. So odds are, whatever problem you had before is going to come back because the number one mm. predictor for injury is pre previous injuries. The previous injury. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it's like... Wow. Like, so whether it's going to a chiropractor or getting injured and being afraid to lift, there's, there's just a feedback loop. And if you never get them out of that feedback loop, it just keeps reinforcing whatever they think. Oh, all chiros just want to see you for five minutes, 40 times a year, or, you know, whatever, or all lifting is bad or, you know, diet, you can't have carbs. Like, it's just, it's just everything just circles around and you have a bad experience, it gets reinforced. You have another bad experience, it gets reinforced. You try and go back to the original yeah. thing, but you don't change. So it, it just happens again. And now they go, yeah, that guy's right. So we shouldn't live. And would you say that these, these chiros that if, if, if you go into a chiro and they see that you're going through this feedback loop to them, it's kind of like cha-ching or is it kind of, I mean, you know, because then they can continuously say, 
They what? Sorry. The joint chiropractic is just down the road. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and that's five minutes in and out the door, 25 bucks a month. Like they're not in the business of getting you better because it's not advantageous to their body. Sure. Like I, mm. my, I don't want to see five people a day. Hmm. Like, literally five people a day, hundred people a month. That's, that's it. And once I pass wow. that, I raise my prices because I yeah. want to have the best quality of care. And quality and quantity do not correlate. Yeah. Quantity correlates when you're trying to make money for a business. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's the, that's the chiropractic model they teach you in school. Take every insurance, see 30 people Hell before yeah. lunch, 20 people after lunch, just pound them through and oh my you know, see goodness. Two, two times a week and you're going to make a ton of money. But ethical money in my opinion. So they teach, yeah, they teach non-ethical in school. Well, yeah, I mean, because that's and, the model that, that like, insurance pushes, right? Insurance only pays for certain things. So you're going to do a lot of those things to cover your bills. I know people have so are you, that are just churning people. Are you cash pay or do you go through insurance? All cash. All cash. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. That's great. Um, and I'm the cheapest in my group, my business group. We just had a meeting in Florida and I was asking everybody what their prices were. <laughs> And I was like, man, I need to charge more. <laughs> what? Yeah, you do. Well, I, there's people in my group that are like out in like New Jersey and stuff, and they're charging like almost 300 an hour. So, 300 an hour. Wow. Do you know uh, that's great? Do you follow Prescript? I do not. Jordan Shadow? No, I do not. So he's the muscle doc on Instagram. Last uh, I checked, because I took a couple of his courses, like his hourly consult was 500. But that's oh my the thing, goodness. right? It's like quality, quantity. Yeah, I'm only going to see five people a day, but I'm going to do an amazing job with those five people. Mm -hmm. I'm the only person in my town. I'm the only person in quite a radius that does what I do. Oh, yeah. Plus, that's, I'm like, that's... I'm never going to show you stop, stop moving or stop lifting. I'm just going to modify. Yeah. And so, like, it's a completely different approach. And that's, that's the hardest part in Iowa Falls is just bridging that gap in value. So is that is that why potentially you are under charging? Is it the is it the demographic that you're in right now? Like if you were to live in Oregon or New York or California, like I don't know if Oregon is along the lines of those two cities. But... Yeah, I could charge way more in Oregon for sure. Um, really? Yeah. So I I was really <laughs> undercharging, and then my business coach kind of sat down with me. He's like, "You need to charge more. You want to look at the life you want and the people you want to help. You have to make it." feasible at, at this rate of um, visits yeah and so he wanted me to go over 200 <laughs> and uh i have a very unhealthy relationship with money because my childhood just like um i don't like talking about money i don't like, yeah. like telling people like hey like you know you could buy a, a package for four grand like that just makes me uncomfortable so that's so potentially just, holding you back yeah i just chronically undercharged and like so i charge 185 an hour which isn't crazy. okay but um, he want, he's like, you need to be at 225. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> it's just, I need to get more, more confident talking about the price. Because I know yeah. my skills. Like, I, I've been out and shadowed my friends that charge 300 an hour. And I'm like, and you I, think we do the same your service is better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wouldn't say better. Uh, I've got some really high-level um, clinician friends. Now, there are some people that I've seen charge a lot that I, I would say my services are better. But I don't know yeah. them personally. I've just watched their their stuff. So. Wow.
Yeah, you need to charge more. Yeah, well. Next month. Working on it, working on it. Good, good. Um, let's circle back around to the fear-mongering thing. And uh, x-rays to fear-monger or MRIs to fear-monger. Tell me about so that. How do you feel about that? My dad's a radiologist. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you take an MRI or an x-ray of my back and just handed it to like an ortho or a radiologist, like, yeah, this guy needs like a four-level back fusion. He's probably in tons of pain, blah, blah, blah. But then you watch me, I got dead up to 500 like a couple weeks ago, like beltless, no problem. And so there's no direct, like, so correlation does not equal causation. If someone has this pain and you look on an x-ray and they have like some degenerative changes, is that the cause of the pain or is that just a secondary finding? And mm -hmm. people don't rely on orthopedic and neurological screens. So the point of an X-ray and an MRI is to confirm what you've already decided are your differential diagnoses, right? So you go through all the movement screens, you go through all the orthopedic and neurological stuff, you should have a pretty good idea of what that X-ray is gonna show you. But if you're just taking an X-ray and being like, oh my God, do you see like your neck straight? You're gonna be like, you're going to have a horrible life because you have military neck and button. So they're using that mm -hmm. to sell like a 50 visit package. But here's the thing I always tell people like, okay, let's say I'm taking an X-ray. They put me up against a Bucky. Like I'm never in this position during the day. Right, right, right. My neck's going to look different. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. And so but then tell that person like, look left, look right, look up, look down. Like, yeah, your cervical range of motion is fine. Any pain with any of that? No. So which one's more important? A static picture? Or the body that moves. Hmm. And so, yeah, that, I would say MRI is probably less horrible because like MRI is going to show if there's like disc impinging on nerves and stuff, which like, okay, that correlates. But like just an x-ray, so many things, you don't see any soft tissue. Hmm. So like, you know, I've got... So would you... Of, sorry. No, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, it's like if you're not if you're not looking at the soft tissue, how's that gonna help? Because like your bones and your you, your tendons are only a certain portion of your body. Like the rest of it is gonna be like soft tissue, organs, stuff like that. If you're not even considering the contribution to the issue coming from soft tissue or from other stuff, and just looking at the structure, you know you're missing the biggest part of the picture. So, but do you think chiropractors, physical therapists, or physios? Uh, medical doctors, like uh, general general practitioners, do you think if you go to each one of those, they will give you a separate answer because a chiro might say what you didn't, you said soft tissue, where I would assume that a physio or physical therapist would mention soft tissue, where a chiropractor would mention bones or, mm -hmm. or some sort of alignment issue, and then maybe a general care, I don't know what they would say, but uh, would you say, I mean, you, you surgery or pills. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would assume because when somebody asks me a question, I say, well, I'm very optimistic with what the answer could be because, but then you also have to understand if you go to four different people, you're getting four different answers because they're in four different professions. Right. So, but, but I appreciate what you said about, you're not only looking at that, the bones and, and whatever else Kyra looks at, but you're looking at soft tissue. You're looking at movement. You're looking at neurological stuff. You're looking at all these different things, which is very important for every profession. Well, yeah, you see a lot of studies show that like, 
you know, by the time you're 50, like 60% plus of people have herniated discs, whether they have back pain. In no pain. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're like, okay. But uh, the problem with going like a physio versus a chiro versus an MD versus a DO Mm -hmm. is you're taught bias in your school programming. Mm -hmm. So like if you're in medical school, I have a friend that's a surgeon. He said, you know what the only cure is? Cut it out. That'll fix it. Because that's what he is taught. That's what he was taught. And so it's like, Cut it out. Hammer, everything's a nail, you know? Jeez. So in, in physiotherapy school, they're taught like, yeah, let's do movement. Let's do soft tissue oh, work. Yeah. Let's like go through that entire practice school. It's the subluxation. All of your issues are because your, your, your alignment of your neck is off by a millimeter. It's affecting all of your nerves. And wow. to a degree, like, is that true? Do you have nerve interference causing issues? For sure. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the only problem. And it's probably not the root cause of most problems. Mm. So it's really up to you after you leave school to change your bias. Oh yeah. Like I went to a school that, um, I tried to start a rehab club at the school and they oh, shut cool. it down. Whoa. Cause they don't want that bias change. Well, they the don't want the truth. Yeah. So they call they call Palmer the fountainhead because it's the original. Oh, so wow. they're very based in the original philosophy from like 1895. Oh my goodness. 1895. Yeah. So chiropractic started 1895. Palmer was built in what? 1897. Yeah. How much do you think has changed since then? Yeah. I was like, Hey, (laughs) and so that's like, but then you go to a different chiropractic school, like Logan or um, Western States, they're way more movement based Mm. because they're more up to date, but they're worse adjusters. (laughs) So it's Mm. kind of like, Oh, interesting. Okay. But like, but no matter where you go, um, you have to continue the education and you have to, take it upon yourself to become a better clinician, to become a better business owner, to become a better coach. Like if, if that's not something you value, you're just going to do what you were taught in school forever and just see a, a zillion people a day. And do people get better from that? Sure. sure yeah. People get transiently better from that care, but you're not making like lifetime lasting changes to their mm-hmm. psyche. And that's the biggest thing. Like you can get someone out of pain and fix the body quite easily. Mm-hmm. You're you're really playing mind games. You're trying to get that person back to where they're confident, back to sure. where they can do stuff. And I think sooner or later that that person will realize, oh, this this chiropractor that I'm currently seeing is very old school based, isn't caught up with the new evidence. I mean, just yeah. based on what you're seeing on social media, like there's a lot that's pushed, and some of it's really really good and up to date, like maybe like an Adam Meekins type thing, mm-hmm. and and then you have the ones that will do this this quantity but pushed to social media right mm-hmm. they, don't, they don't have the quality but people believe the the sexy stuff on social media you know yeah does that does that fire you up social media posts well it's um you know i post a lot on social media too but like i never really put up like doing adjustments and stuff the one well, that you really post good stuff though what'd you say you post good stuff though uh, well i try and, <laughs> i try and be helpful usually it's just like i have a patient ask a question so i just make a video and post it so they can you know, go back and review the answer. Yeah. But, uh, I think what really annoys me is the Y strap adjustment on YouTube and Instagram. Why strap? They strap around their head and they're just like, wham. Like, they like pull the people like, like two feet or like this guy in Texas, he actually went to the same school as me in the seventies, which makes me sad. Um, he calls, he calls his adjustment a ring dinger. So he puts people on this table where they lift their legs up and then he puts blocks against their hips. And then pulls on their head. So it's like, it's like crazy. I mean, and like I've done Y strap adjustments and, tra- and axial adjustments, but like I'm pulling like this much. 
check it's like just a little pull. These guys are pulling like two feet. And so people come into the Cairo and they're like, I don't want to get decapitated today. And it, <laughs> but I mean, those, 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 those Instagram videos and TikTok videos get like so many views so many because views. people love watching the reactions. Yeah. And like Bull Hightower, like dude, quit hammering up people's butthole. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, okay, like, are you trying to release like their obturator? Sure. Is that really the problem? Or are you just doing something sensational? Right? Like, cause that's an outdated technique. But, oh, it was a technique. Yeah. It's, so that's like pre activator. So activator is like, uh, like a loadable gun that you can adjust and click with. It's got a loaded spring head that like you could contact like the spinous process. It has eight pound pressure release. Okay. So in theory it's, it's doing micro adjustments. So it's, it's more specific and fine tuned prior to that. They did the, the hammer, but it would just be little, like, similar. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've never done that technique, but you watch him do it and you're like, it's, I mean, it's sensational. And he, he works on all these YouTube people, but it's like, that, that just creates a weird, uh, connotation for my profession. <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, it's like, you know, Dr. Joel Siedelman is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, like, I mean, I'm sure that really upsets you as a trainer. People come in like, I can't, I can't go past 90 He's degrees. He's like 90, yeah, the 90 degree isometric, whatever it is, whatever, yeah. Yeah, so there, there's there's quirky people out there that have a lot of following, unfortunately. So I guess to beat around that is just, I mean, it's up to the viewer, right? Yeah, it's up to the viewer. Like, I love watching those videos too, but I just, I kind of wish more people would uh, put up educational content, but... You know, I put up a video the other day that was like, hey, you know, not everyone should squat the same because, like, if you have better internal rotation versus external rotation and ankle mobility, it's going to change the foot position you're going to be in. And, like, if you're going to wear a lifted shoe or not. And then that gets, like, no views. Mm -hmm. If I put up a video of, like, someone's neck getting ripped off or, like, a failing video, it gets a ton of views. And, yep. and people are putting up content that correlates to monetary response. And if they're monetizing their social media, Sensational content gets the most, not educational. Hundred percent. I wonder how you can make educational content sexier. Well, I mean, like Move U's done a good job of that, right? Yeah, yeah. The shirtless guy, maybe that's it. Yeah, you got to take your shirt guy. off a little bit more. Yeah, I'm. Dude, I'm, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm uh, never know that that'll catch the views. I'll get. I'll get some weird DMs. Probably. <laughs> that's funny. Um. Oh shoot, I was gonna say something, but I forgot. Um. Yeah, that is so true. The 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 sexy content is what makes makes it work. Um, I'm six five two ninety. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of sexy going on. <laughs> Plus, I'm pale. Like I live in Idaho. We got snow since October. Wow. Yeah, it's probably freezing where, out there. Where in Utah are you? Uh, I'm in Bluffdale, so that's about ten, like maybe no, maybe twenty minutes from Salt Lake City. Okay. So, you know, from Idaho, maybe like an hour and a half, but yeah. So you're north of Salt Lake. I am. No, I'm south of Salt Lake. Like, are you before Saratoga Springs? I'm. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. So if you're going south, I'm before Saratoga Springs. Okay. Yeah. I'm kind of Bluffdale's a tiny, tiny. Yes, yeah, so you're like four hours from me. Oh, four. Yeah, I've never been to Idaho Falls, so no idea. But um, yeah, probably. But uh, yeah, do you ever catch yourself down in Salt Lake? You know, on occasion, I was just out there a little while ago, and that's I was down visiting a friend in Saratoga Springs. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, I go to probably go to Boise more than I do Salt Lake. 
just because like I, going to school in Logan, I used to go down to Salt Lake a lot. And then it was like, I don't know, you, you get this like annoying connotation of the people there. Mm -hmm. But like going to Boise now as an adult, like it's really fun to go like a speakeasy or like go out dancing. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm sure Salt Lake, I mean, Salt Lake's changed so much. I, I need to go down and explore it. Yeah, you should. If you're ever, if you're ever down here or in Saratoga Springs, I'm like 10 minutes away. So yeah. I, I plan to, to hear from Come you. Come in and let you kill me on dots. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this is, this is, this is awesome. This is, this is kind of the point. I remember what I was going to say now, but this is the point of why I want to have conversations with people like you, because the voice is huge and you putting out the educational content and the stuff that is more true than any post that any sexy post that you'll see on, on social media, like that's massive. And that's what's what we, we want to bridge this gap. We want to put out good content and let people know that people like you are here and they're educating and this is what the 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 true treatment that that you're doing is is all about right so so that's that's huge and your time has been awesome your stories have been so cool <laughs> in an ideal world i would just get people jamming me issues all day and i would just make videos on that <laughs> and then get paid yeah well you know the, the thing is you put out a lot of free content and then it creates value. It does. And so then people pay on the back end. I would, I, I honestly, I would put out free content all day, all the time. Um, because I, I would rather someone listen to something that's correct. than go to YouTube and get like some crazy fix it. And then nothing happens. And now they're discouraged. Now they're going to go talk to a surgeon and get their back fused. Yep. And they're 40 and you're like, that's going to lead to another fusion and yep. down the road. Well, hopefully one day the educational stuff that, you know, all these like-minded people are putting out are going to become the most viewed on every. I just need to be more, um, less serious and more just like funny. Cause like Mike Van Wick, he's a, a bodybuilder up in Canada mm -hmm. and he just puts up like, you're doing this wrong videos all the time, like training videos. Yeah. And he's got a zillion followers and I love it because that's like stuff I'm obsessed with, but like, he's kind of a, a sensational opinionated person. Okay. He's tatted head to toe, like, yeah. and he says what he means. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't pull punches. Wow. And uh, I'm sometimes my Canadian side comes out. I'm too polite. <laughs> I don't want to offend people. Hey, you can you can probably do a, a little Canadian, uh, a little Canadian spinoff of what he's doing. Getting <laughs> yeah, a nice, getting a plaid, uh, a plaid button up thing, you know, yeah, yeah. off like a lumberjack kind of thing. Is that is that stereotypical of a Canadian? You know, it's really funny. I bought my first plaid shirt this year. Wow. Yeah. And your dad being a Canadian Olympian? Yeah, my dad's got a ton of Olympian? I'm only American in my family. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Your sisters were born in Canada? Mm -hmm. I was born about as close as you can get. I was born in North Dakota. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I think I think maybe you need to get a couple more uh, plaid shirts. Rip get the logo on them, wear them to work. Exactly. <laughs> You yeah, that looked really good. A plaid shirt with Lululemon joggers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. No, that you need you need jean shorts. Oh boy. Yeah, I get the Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> exactly. See, I think I think we're uh, on it's a little too cold on that. <laughs> for that. Maybe in the summer I'll do that as a joke. All right. But that's I like funny. it. So, is there anything else you wanna you wanna add before we wrap up, or anything I can help you with, or anything? What, how, how um, you, I mean, you and I are probably gonna keep talking in the DMs and figure that out. Yeah, I'm actually. 
I just had a buddy that told me I need to start a podcast. So if I end up doing that, I'll have you on. Yeah, cool. And let me know if you need help with the podcast or whatever. But I mean, this is new to me too. You're you're going to be episode number three. So this is uh, I'm. I always feel bad on podcasts because like you're asking me all the questions and I don't like ask you anything. No, which so, is fun. I mean, like I guess if we have a few minutes. If you, yeah, it's nine fifty-seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, what led to you creating the lab? So it, I've been, so I've been training for like, this is my 11th year as a, as a trainer. And up until 2020, when COVID hit, I was, I've, I mean, I've jumped around gyms training, but the last gym I was at, I was at for four years. So I was there since, since 2016 to 2020 and COVID hit, I had an unfinished basement and I that gym that I was at closed for two weeks. And I was like, Oh, well, uh, I have these clients. Cause I did, I do it full time. Right. So I have these clients. I don't have an income. What am I going to do? So then a few of my clients were like, uh, like literally, so I'm in my basement now, but I ha I've since moved just right around the corner. But anyways, it's an unfinished basement. Like there's insulation on the walls. There's exposed ceilings, right? I did not finish a thing. And that's how it wasn't in, in my old place. It was cement flooring. So I had these clients come to my house. There was cement dust on their pants. Like we were training in an unfinished basement that I've kind of just swept up a few kettlebells, et cetera. And I had full intentions of going back to that gym, but my clients, I was so scared to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to start my own gym. I never thought I'm going to start my own thing. Never. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, I was fearful of it. And then I, my clients just kind of pushed me, my clients and my wife um, pushed me to start it. And I did. And it was, I mean, it was one of the, it was easily the best thing that I've done in 11 years. Yeah. I should have done it sooner, but and I never, I never thought that it was going to be in my basement, but the, the joy of that is zero overhead. I mean, it's my, my house payment, right. But, mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty incredible. That's why I pushed Callum, Joe. I don't know if you've seen Joe yeah, what he's doing now. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I helped him with, I was like, Joe, take the leap. Because I was in the same position he was. He was working for oh, a gym. No, I was I wasn't at Vasa, but he he was. We were at similar we were at similar gym types. Sure. Uh but I was like, Joe, you I will I will help you with whatever you need because I've been through this. And the hardest part I think as a trainer is 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 being on the business side, right? You could be a fabulous trainer but a poor business owner. Well, same thing and, in my world. That's why I just hired a business yeah, coach. Exactly. So and granted, like I, I'm not saying I'm the best business owner because training is my thing, but it's I've I've been through it and I know what you have to do. So I kind of helped him in that way. But I love seeing all these trainers that are now leaving these gyms. And when I have jo Joe is supposed to be coming to have a conversation with me, so we we want to talk a little bit more on what that took to leave this bigger box gym and start your own thing. Well, what I think would be interesting with Joe would be to talk about going from the collegiate world to the private world mm. to then the like super private like, personal you know, training because 100%. he went, he went from, he was at university of Utah, then Utah state. And then I think he went to like Oregon or something. And then he got into Vasa yeah. when it was still gold. Yeah. And then it turned to Vasa and now he's doing his own thing. Like, yeah, I just, yeah. Joe and I, every time I get a chance to see him in person, I saw him in a couple of meets. It's just funny. Cause I remember he would keep the gym open late for me. And like the first time I ever inclined 300 pounds, he was spotting me. It was just oh me in God. the gym. It was like after dark. And Jeez. he used to give me, uh, <laughs> he used to give me tons of chocolate milk. Chocolate milk. Yeah. So you could, you could get like a liter of whole chocolate milk. 
Okay. For the football players to gain weight. Oh my goodness. And I could never gain weight. I was eating like so much I couldn't gain weight. And Joe and I became friends and he would like he would give me like cartons, like like boxes oh of, my goodness. of chocolate milk to take home. That there was no one else on the track team got that. <laughs> I dare you then. Yeah. That's great. That's I, owe, awesome. I owe all my strength and power to, to Joe. That's awesome. That's awesome. But uh but yeah, that's how that's how this kind of came about. So I've been going at it for two years and it's been amazing. Are you going to go into a, like a full like private training facility? No, I have no plans to. However, yeah. I'm not the person to kind of look at the next five years. I'm the person to look at the next like six months. You know, so it's it's very yeah. hard for me to say no. But right now, no, I'm going to stay here. I mean, I have yeah. I'm sure you've seen videos, but it's completely outfitted with horse stall mats and turf yeah. and all the equipment I need. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. If anything, I thought about maybe like a franchise kind of type deal where if another trainer wanted to start their own thing, but they didn't know how, then I'll say, Hey, take my name. I'll teach you how to open this up. And then yeah. you do it. You know what I mean? That'd be cool. Yeah. I have a soft spot for basement gyms. You do? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I trained in. Yeah. CrossFit didn't start really until like 2005, 2006. So you were all in the basement. lifting for seven years at that point. See, so you, you did the thing before it was even popular. Yeah. And one of the main reasons actually why I stopped competing in weightlifting is we were training in our basement and I would jerk and hit the ceiling. Oh shoot! <laughs> so, like, that's where, like, that's where, like, my senior year, I really focused on track and field. Mm. So wow! So maybe if you never hit the ceiling, maybe you'd still be weightlifting. Yeah, if I was like five eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. As a six five weightlifter, that's probably extremely hard leverage wise. Well, you have like Lasha Talakadze is like six seven, but you he weighs three eighty. Like, so you just you just have to fill out your leverages. My dad's six six, and I think his biggest was like three ten. So the fact that you can also remember these Russian names are beyond. Yeah, Russia is from Georgia. Oh, well. <laughs> coach uh, Georgi Atsinidze. He's the guy that beat Piros Dimas in the 2004, 2000 Olympics. One of those two. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's an obsession. <laughs> I don't know if you can see, I've got a weightlifting Lego guy right there. Yeah, I can see that. He's clean and jerking 200 kilos. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool, man. I mean, this has been great, really great conversations and I hope to continue everything. Our yeah. co our conversations, you know, we can always jump on for a part two. I'm not afraid of that. Heck yeah, man. But, uh, this is great. Anything else? Have uh, you enjoyed I it? I, yeah. I tell people where to find me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the last part. The bar so website, social media, whatever. Yeah. So the barbell Cairo is my social media. Okay. Um, that's Instagram. I have a strong life performance page because I was shadow banned for a year, but oh. I don't really post on that anymore. Right. So I, I learned my lesson. I can't post memes about COVID. Um, <laughs> it is what it is. But yeah, the Barbell Cairo is the easiest way to get hold of me. Uh, my website is stronglifecairo.com for my clinic and everything. Same email, stronglifecairo at gmail.com. Cool. But, uh, Hopefully, I'm trying to get more into YouTube and start a podcast and stuff soon. So in the future, I'll decide what that's going to be. But there is a Barbell Cairo podcast. And the guy actually started after I had the name on Instagram. So really no way. I know. And they go, I need DM him. Hey, stop. Yeah, stop. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the only one. Yeah. I thought it was <laughs> well, a really cool, clever name until I saw how many people are like the Barbell Physio and the Barbell Dog. And like, it, there's... It's new though. It's like a newer, it's a newer thing because they're trying to bridge this gap and they're trying to be the one that, that you, that you're trying to be. Yeah. 
We all just need to be friends and have a giant multidisciplinary so. clinic. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. Huh? Yeah, that would be. Wow. Okay, I appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you having me. And we'll uh, we'll talk soon for sure. All right. Okay. Take care.